today is a big day, and you know that. Many of you, I'm sure, have plans uh, for this afternoon to be with your family or to be with friends. You've already, some of you may even have food cooking right this very moment, and you're wondering how it's doing there in the, in the oven. Hopefully, you haven't burned the house down. Uh, but there are, this is a season that is just so exciting. There are, people have big plans, and people enjoy this time of season, enjoy this day that we call, that we call Easter. Many of you maybe will have Easter egg hunts. Our family will certainly do that. We've got three kids, and we're going to have a big family Easter egg hunt later on today. It reminds me of whenever I was a kid, and uh, I have a brother and two sisters and nieces and nephews. We're just kind of one big, long-flowing family, and uh, we would have Easter egg hunts when I was a kid, and uh, we wouldn't use uh, just the plastic Easter eggs. We went full speed, we went with the real thing, right? We'd boil the Easter eggs and we'd hide the Easter eggs. And undoubtedly, every single year, our dog around July or August would find one of those Easter eggs that we kids had missed. And you can imagine what that scene and what that smell must have been like. And uh, every year it seemed like that would happen. I don't know why we didn't learn our lesson, uh, but now as, uh, as a parent, I still haven't learned my lesson. So we'll be hiding real Easter eggs here in just a little bit later on today. But it, this is a big day. It's a lot of fun. Some of you went shopping this weekend and you bought a lot of new clothes and, uh, and that's great. That's awesome. But what I want to know is how many of you are wearing something old and you're really, really proud of it? Let me see your hand. All right, that's good. That's a good thing. We are... We are we're amongst friends. Well, for those, those who are followers of Christ, both here in this church and in this city and, and around the world, today is really the hinge of our faith. Today is a significant day because for followers of Christ, we don't just celebrate the fact that Jesus lived a good life, we, even though he did. We don't celebrate the fact that he just preached a lot of good messages and said a lot of wise things, though he did. We don't celebrate just the fact that he helped a lot of people and he helped numerous, countless people during his ministry on this earth. But what we celebrate today is the hinge of our faith that Jesus Christ, God himself, came and he died on a cross to be our substitute and to pay the penalty for our sin and that he rose again three days later. That's what separates Jesus from every other significant person in all of history is that he made claims to be God and then he backed them up, that he came and he died and he rose. And that's what we celebrate today. It's the hinge of our faith. And if we take away the resurrection, I mean, we have no faith. We have no hope. We have no, no chance of even having a relationship with God. And so today is a day for many of you, you celebrate. For others of you, you're searching and you're seeking and you're wondering, you know, what, what could God have for me? And could all this maybe just be applicable even to my life? And the good news is, is that yes, it can be. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Well, we're beginning a new series today called Reset. Here in our church, I, I love, whenever I preach on Sundays, I love to, to go through series. Sometimes I do lengthy series. They're through specific uh, books of the Bible. And other times I do certain series like we're beginning today called Reset. And uh, we're going to begin it today. It's going to go on for the next three Sundays. And, and so today we kick off a brand new series on this Easter Sunday entitled Reset. Here's the premise of it. Wouldn't it be great if life came with a reset button, a button similar to the one that you see on the screen right here? Wouldn't it be great if when you were born, <laughs> your parents left the hospital, not just with you, but they also left with a reset button that would be applicable to every single day of the life that you would live from that day forward? Wouldn't it be good that whenever you needed a do-over or just, a, just a, a second chance that you had that reset button and your mom and dad could just whip it out and say, here you go. Here's your reset button. We got it the day you were born. Wouldn't that be good? Because there are some embarrassing moments at times that come in people's lives whenever they would be glad to have a reset button on property. 
It'd be really, really a good thing for them to be able to hit that reset button and undo the embarrassing moment. For example, have you ever walked in to the restroom that was designed for the opposite sex thinking you were going into the right restroom? That would be a good time for a reset button. I've done that. Check the box. Move on. Uh, many of you heard the story. Susie and I were dating. She had been out of the country for two weeks. She came back. I was really excited for her to be back home, and I was going to impress her with a bouquet of flowers, and I was at the, at the airport with flowers in the women's restroom, and I didn't even know it. Until this lady walked in, and my first thought is, what is she doing in the guy's restroom? And then I realized, whoa, knucklehead, you're in the wrong place and holding a bunch of flowers. That's not a good thing. So that would have been a good place to hit a reset button. If I had one, if my mom and dad had given me one the day I was born, I would have certainly hit it that, you know, that moment. How many of you have ever run into one of those, <laughs> one of those yellow posts at the drive-thru at the bank? How many of you have ever nailed one of those? You, you see scrapes on them all the time at McDonald's drive-thru and all the different drive They've all got scrapes. Uh, that'd be a good place to be able to, to hit a reset. How many of you, speaking of driving, how many of you have ever gotten a little mini, little mini road rage going and you got mad at somebody who cut you off and, and then you realized you knew them? Has that ever happened? And you're like shaking your fist, ah, and then you realize it's your mom, you know, and you're, you know, hey, yeah, yeah. Those would be real good times to have reset buttons on property, right? You could just whip it out of your pocket, hit it, and everybody forgets what happened. You get a fresh start, you get a redo, a do-over, but life doesn't, Always work that way. What about, what about some things you've purchased, maybe? Have you ever purchased things that, like a week later, you thought to yourself, why, why, why did I even buy this? What was I even thinking? Do you remember those cars called Yugos back in the, back in the day? You know, maybe some of you drove a car that was kind of like that. You sort of drive it, and when it runs out of gas, you throw it away and get you a new one. Uh, you, know, you reset. Maybe it was something you bought that you thought, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Tim Hawkins, a comedian, he talks about these, the, the Frisbees that Whammo made appropriately uh, by the company named Whammo, and they were glow-in-the-dark Frisbees, and he makes the point of, of the problem with those when you give them to your kids is that God didn't make glow-in-the-dark trees, and the power company didn't make glow-in-the-dark telephone poles, so when you're throwing those things in the backyard, Whammo! It was an appropriate name for the company that made those. Those would be good times to hit the reset button. Have you ever had a bad date? Ah, remember those days for those of you that are married and it's been a little while, right? And you think back to the old dating life. So many of you are single now and you think about bad dates where 10 seconds in, you're thinking, this, this really isn't kind of what I expected. You know, can I just hit the reset button? I, I had a, a date once when um, I was out and we were at CeCe's Pizza, <laughs> which should have been a, a point for my date to hit the reset button probably at that point. <laughs> We were at CC's Pizza with a couple of friends, and uh, and the guy, he and I, you know, we were buddies, and we were cutting up and joking around, and uh, and so I went. I won't go into the long story of what I was doing, but it, it was it was stupid. And so I was running. I went running around the end of the, uh, the little pizza bar. You know, they've got all the you can eat buffet at pizza at CC's. And it's like a, a dollar, and you can eat for days if you want to. And they've got, you know, all the different kinds, you know, ham and pepperoni and cheese and grass clippings and all the different kind of flavors they've got. And so I was running around the end of the pizza buffet, and, well, those places get a little slippery sometimes. And as I went around the end of that pizza buffet, wham, man, my feet came out from under me, and I hit that floor. And I was holding a pa- one of those, one of the, they don't serve fine china at CeCe's. I apologize if the manager's here, but they, those, those hard plastic plates, you know, on that tile floor, it bounced for 10 solid minutes. I'm telling you, jing, 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 jing. And, uh, well, that, that would have been a, a good place for a reset for me. And, but the good thing was that redeeming grace is that my date ended up marrying me eventually. And so that was, that was the good news. That was, that was a reset, really, for me. And so I was, uh, 
I was grateful for that. But we have times in our lives where we wish we could hit a reset button. The whole 1980s, <laughs> that, would, that would be good, you know? I mean, Don Johnson, Miami Vice, you know, some of the music, uh, Vanilla, you know, just won't even go, you know? So the 1980s, just boom, just a big old, a big gigantic reset button. It would be great. Life would be easier, wouldn't it, if we had a reset button that came the day we were born, but it doesn't. And there, sadly, many, for many of us, I'd say probably for most of us, if not every one of us here in this place today, there are times that we can think of, they don't make us laugh so much, they don't, they don't bring a smile to our face of, yeah, I remember when that happened, that, I wish I could do all that ever. No, there are times in our lives where if we could hit a reset button, we would pay a lot of money to do it. There are times in our lives where we made choices, and boy, Brooks, if, I, if there was enough money in the bank, and if there was even one of those buttons in existence, I'd pay whatever I had to, to be able to do over some of the stuff I've done in my life. You know, for some, maybe it was a choice that you made and say a business deal. Boy, you lost everything. You thought it was going to fill your pockets with cash and ended up to where everything you worked for to that point in your life, whew, just gone. And Brooks, if I could hit reset on that business deal, I would go back and I'd do it in an instant. Maybe for some, it's a relationship. That if you could go back and if you could hit reset on that, you would change so much about that relationship. For some, maybe it was the way that you raised your children. Today, your heart breaks and you look back and you think, you know, I could have done so many things differently. And if I, if I could find a reset button, I would pay whatever money I could find to hit that segment of my life. And I would do so many things differently, but I can't. For some, maybe it was a choice. Maybe it was a night away on a business trip. And what happened during that, that time in your life of that one night away changed the whole course of your life from that day forward. Choices that you made, and if you could hit the button, boy, you'd do it in an instant. Maybe it was an email that you sent without thinking. You were angry, you were mad, and now you've got broken relationships to show for it. And you can't hit that reset button to do it over. Maybe it was a choice that got you arrested. Maybe it was a choice that, that got you fired. Maybe it was a choice that you made that, that you really weren't ready for the consequences but you can't go back and hit reset because life doesn't come with a reset button. But as we look here in John chapter 4, what we're going to find is that God offers something different. Boy, God offers something a whole lot better. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, that's okay. We're going to have this passage on the overhead there in front of you. I'm going to just read through this passage of Scripture. It's an interesting conversation that Jesus would have with a very ordinary woman, reflective and similar to many of us. And as we read this passage, the setting is this, is that Jesus and his 12 closest followers, known as his disciples, are traveling through a region there in the land of Israel. It's 2,000 years ago. They're there in the land of Israel. Jesus is making a long journey with his disciples, his followers, and as he makes this journey, he's going to encounter a woman very similar to many of us. And the conversation that he has with her is going to really show us what it looks like when God hits the reset button for us. And so let's pick up here. John chapter 4. You see it on the overhead there in front of you, beginning in verse 3. It says, Jesus left Judea, and he went away again into Galilee. 
and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, let me just stop there for just a moment and kind of paint a little bit of the context of what's taking place. As Jesus is passing through this, this region of the land of Israel, Israel was broken up into different, different regions. You had Judea to the south, you had Galilee to the north, and in the middle, kind of sandwiched in between, you had a land called, uh, an area called Samaria. It, it would be just like if you're traveling up I-95, right, and you're traveling from Florida to South Carolina, you have to pass through Georgia. And that's what was happening here. Jesus is traveling from, from the south in Israel to the north in Israel, and he's going through a land called Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. We don't know a whole lot about the city. It doesn't have any real significance except for what we're about to read of here further in John chapter 4. But that city, Sychar, was situated on a, on a fork in the road, interestingly. And when you came to that town, you had to decide which way you were going to go as you proceeded on your journey. And so it says Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6. And it says, And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now this well is exactly what you're thinking of. It was a deep well. It had been dug out centuries before Jesus ever walked that ground. And it was there providing for water for the people that lived near that city. And so as Jesus comes to that well, uh, that well would have had water in it, it had been fed by an underground stream, and Jesus is tired. And what we see here when it says he was wearied, that reminds us that Jesus was 100% God when he walked this earth, but he's also 100% man. And so the man side of Jesus is weary, he's tired. I mean, come on, he's been traveling up this road, this dirty, dusty road. It's the middle of the day, sixth hour. It's not, it's not counting out from, uh, from midnight. This is not 6 a.m. This is Jewish time. John was a Jew when he wrote the book of John, and so the sixth hour would have been right around noon, maybe 1 o'clock. They measured from sunup to sundown. And so here it is, the middle of the day, when the sun is the brightest, when the heat is the hottest, and Jesus is traveling through this, this land of Samaria, comes to the, south, to the town of Sychar, and tired as he was, he sits down beside this well. Verse 7, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now there's something significant here. It says that this was a woman who came up to Jesus. It's not plural, not women, and that was a little bit odd because typically during that, that time of the day uh, or during, during that, in that culture, women who came to draw water would come in groups. It, it provided safety for them, that if they ever encountered traveling parties where people were up to no good, the ladies would often come in groups. It would provide protection for them. But they would typically come as a group. This is one single woman who has come by herself to this well. Now it's the middle of the day, the sixth hour. It's the hottest part of the day. Typically when the women would come to draw water, it would be in the earliest part of the day. Just when the sun would come up. It's when it was coolest. It's when it was quietest. And they would come and draw water. But not this woman. This is significant. She would come by herself in the hottest part of the day to carry out her duties. And the reason, as we'll see in just a little bit, was because she was an outcast because of the decisions that she had made in her life. Verse 9, it says, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? And then, then John gives us some parentheses there that are real important. It helps us to understand what's going on. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There, there is racial divide, and our country knows racial divide from our past, from our present. And then there is racial divide. What went on between the Jews and the Samaritans, anything that you can imagine, it notched it up. Any historian will tell you that. 
Jews despised Samaritans. They saw them as a lesser race. They, they, uh, and, and it went back for centuries, but they absolutely despised them, hated them from the, from the deepest part of who they were. Samaritans, likewise. It was so bad that they would not even eat off of the same utensils. Even though the utensils had been cleaned and sanitized, if a Samaritan had eaten off of it, a Jew would have nothing to do with that, and vice versa. They absolutely despised one another. So this, this woman, who's by herself, a Samaritan, who is with Jesus, a Jew, nobody else around, she's looking at him saying, what are you doing? I wonder if she had a New York accent. You know, what are you doing here? You know, you know, what are you doing asking me for a drink? I mean, don't you know Jews, Samaritans? You know, there, there, there is no mixing here. What, what are you thinking? Verse 10. So Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now for her, I mean, she, she drew water every day. Living water meant water that was not stagnant. It meant water that was flowing. Jesus, however, is speaking on a spiritual level. He's talking about, hey, I know you, I know your life, you are thirsty in the deepest part of your soul, and I can quench that thirst for you in a way that nothing and no one else can. And so they're having this conversation about water. She's thinking physical, he's talking spiritual. Verse, uh, verse 11 through 13, she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, the well is deep, where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She's thinking, my mama didn't raise no dummy. If you got water like that, I want some of it. And then Jesus asks her, or he makes a statement to her, verse 16, and everything begins to change. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. In other words, I I want to talk more about all this. Why don't you go get your husband, bring him here, and we'll talk. Have you ever been to the doctor? And you say, Doc, I got, I got a stomachache. I, I don't know what's going on. My stomach's been hurting for three days. I got a stomachache. He says, well, let me, let me check things out. He starts pushing. Does it hurt? No, 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 no. And he pushes that one spot, and you come up off the table. Dah! And you, you're, like, ready to fight. You know, like, lay off of me, Doc. You know, get your hands off of me. That's the sore spot. And when Jesus said to this woman, go call your husband and come here, That was her sore spot. Verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And here's where Jesus shows that he's not just man, but he's also God. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now notice, Jesus is not judging her. He's not being mean to her. He's not throwing things in her face. He's just simply bringing out the fact that says, you are a thirsty, thirsty person. 
Your heart longs for something that will bring you fulfillment and will bring you joy and that will put all the missing pieces together and that will make your life complete. And five different times you have hit a reset button and every time the new person has walked out that door and left you just as dry and hurting and thirsty as the one before. And so he's not being mean-spirited. He's not rubbing her face in her choices of the past. He's just bringing things to light. And the most, probably the, the greatest understatement of the whole chapter is in verse 19. It tells us, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> now, he just laid out her whole life story, right? And that, that's the best she can come up with. I think you might be a prophet here. Uh, you've just exposed everything in my life up to this point. And as they have this conversation, and as things continue to unfold, Jesus is showing that he's not just an ordinary man. He's showing that he is God himself. And they begin to talk about worship and where worship is supposed to take place, what worship is supposed to look like. And then the, the conversation shifts just a little bit more. Let's look at the next passage, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jews and Samaritans alike both expected a Messiah to come. And this Messiah would not be an ordinary person. This Messiah would be one who would set them free. He would forgive them of their sins. He would release them of the things that held them in bondage. This Messiah would make their life fit. He would bring meaning. He would make them right with God. He would offer forgiveness. He would do all of this. And this woman says to him, well, well I know that one day the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to make all this right for us. He's going to declare all these things to us. And next, the next verse, verse 26, is the big moment. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And man, I'm telling you, this is like the moment where you just jerk the covers back. Jesus peeled back the curtain, and it's that moment where you say, we're going to Disney World. You know, there's just celebration and unfurl the banners. What he says to her is the one thing you've looked for and what reset buttons in your life could not accomplish. I have come, and this guy standing right here, dirty and dusty and tired from a long trip, is the one who can bring you what you've looked for your whole entire life long. You've met him, and I am he. Verse 28. And so the woman left her water pot. That doesn't seem too significant. She left her water pot. Oh boy, but it is significant. That water pot symbolized a lot of stuff for her. Because when she would leave her tent or her dwelling, and she would make her way down that path to draw water, Every day at high noon when no one else was around, she heard the snickers and the jeers and the jokes, and she saw the people pointing. And that water pot symbolized every choice she had ever made. All the choices that she made, the sins she had committed, looking for fulfillment outside of a relationship with God, that water pot symbolized this. But isn't it interesting that when she met Christ, as a result of one conversation about forgiveness and a Savior and, and new starts, she forgets the whole reason she came to the well in the first place. She left her water pot, went to the city, and she said to the men, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and they were coming to him. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one is indeed the Savior. The Savior of the whole entire world. You know, I wonder, I wonder how good that word sounded. You know, people would look at Jesus' conversation with her and would say, boy, that, you know, that really wasn't nice of him to be pulling up this woman's past and throwing all this in her face. No, he didn't do that. Well, why did he have to go back to that sore spot? Why did he have to bring up those choices that were made outside of God's will? Why did he have to go there? He went there because he loved her. And there's a principle there that I hope you'll jot down. We're going to flash it up in just a second. A principle that's just four words long that applies to every single one of us in this place, and the principle is this, is that exposure leads to closure. And Jesus reached into her life, and he pulled out that sin that separates her from God. And he held it up for her to see, not to rub it in her face, not to say, look how lousy of a life you've led, not, not to say, look at all the times you ran your own life and you didn't turn to God, you should be ashamed. He didn't do that. He took her sin and he held it up so that she could see it. So that if she was only willing to acknowledge it and deal with it on God's terms, he could snatch the teeth out of that sin and close the books on it once and for all. And so my question for you is this. What is it in your life back there? Is it a season of your life when still today you think, you know, I don't even know what that month was about. I don't know what I was thinking for that year. I don't know where my mind was for that one night or that week. What is it back there for you that still haunts you to this day? And I'm not talking about something that gives us something to laugh about. I mean it breaks your heart still. A time of rebellion when you sinned against God. And today you think, man, I wish I could just do it all over again. What is it that's there? You know, the reason that you carry that nagging sense of guilt, that reason that your conscience still bugs you, listen, just may be God who's saying, why don't you bring it up to the light, just own it, confess it, and give it to me, and I'll bring closure once and for all from this day forward for you. You know, there's a passage in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, and then it says simply this, that if we confess our sins, and that means to agree with God, if we confess our sins, we don't try to hide them or, or blame someone else for them. If we just confess our sins, listen to this, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will wipe the slate clean. He will open up a brand new book for us, a book of life. He will give us a relationship with God if we only confess our sins and, and, and take them, allowing Jesus Christ to pay for them for us. And so John himself, in the first chapter of this book that we've just read, in the first chapter, he gives us, if I, would, if I could call this, a little bit of a formula for seeing our sins dealt with, our sins erased from us. And it's in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12. Let's bring that verse up and just read along with me. John, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know, there's an interesting formula there. It's not mystical or magical, but it just lays out truth so simply. If you look at the last line, it mentions those who believe in his name. In other words, it's those who believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus has died for our sins on the cross, that he rose again from the dead that he is the savior of the world, that he's Lord, that he's savior, exactly who he's claimed to be. For those who believe him, and then first line, but as many as received him. When it talks about receiving Christ, it talks about making that decision, and it's a conscious decision, not to get in a church or not to try to clean up our lives, but to turn our backs on our sin. It means that we change our minds. We don't want sin to characterize our lives anymore. Yes, we'll still struggle. Yes, we'll still fall. Yes, we'll still fail. But in our minds, we come to that point. It's that aha moment where we say, you know what? I'm done living that life. I want to live my life for a new master starting today. That's repentance. And we turn from our sin and we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. We invite him to take over. That's how we receive him. And what this verse tells us is that if we believe in him and we add that to receive, belief plus receive equals become. And that when we turn from our sin and we place our faith in Christ, we become a very part of the family of God himself. So that one day when we stand before him, we don't stand before a judge who says, look at all the sin you've committed. No, there'll be no sin to see because Jesus paid for it. He'll say, welcome in, my child. Believe plus receive equals become. And so I wonder today, for you, as you're reminded of that choice or that season or just sin, if God is not perhaps even today exposing that in your life so that as an act of your will, you don't hit a reset, but you receive Christ and you follow him and you praise him for the grace that he willingly gave even to you. It's a choice that only you can make. Nobody can make it for you. Nobody can give you a second chance but Christ. Maybe today he does. So what's the last principle that we see? Let's look at this and we're done. The principle is this, that his conviction of our sin is the exposure. And our believing plus receiving Christ as Lord is what brings closure. You say, Brooks, what's this have to do with Easter? Everything. because if Jesus, our Savior, didn't die and didn't rise, hey, we have no hope of a second chance. We have no hope of a fresh start. We have no hope of a reset. And so you'll never find that in a button. You'll only find it in a Savior. And the only place you'll find a Savior is in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I am... I'm amazed, really, at the thought of the potential of what could happen, Lord, in these next few moments. For those that have things from their past, and all of us do, that they've looked for ways to reset or to start over, and like this woman at this well, Lord, in John 4, that past is just littered with Choices made that have brought so much hurt, so much dishonor to you. And yet, Lord, the thought is overwhelming to think that right here today, that a decision can be made 
to turn from sin and to invite Christ to come in and take over and to wipe our slate clean and forgive us of all of our sin. And Lord, we can leave this place brand new on the inside with a right standing before you, knowing that heaven awaits one day and until then, that we have a relationship with you, God, that will never end. Just a phenomenal thought to imagine that that could even happen for us. And yet it can. Lord, that right here, sitting where they sit, there are people who've never given their lives to Christ. And as they've listened to this message, as as they've listened to this choir, Lord, there's just been this gnawing sense that something is missing. Something is just not quite right. You know, I want a little bit of this in my life, has been the thought. And yet they're reminded of all the times that they've not lived a religious life. God, I thank you that this is not about religion. I thank you that it's about a relationship with you. God, religion accomplishes very little. But Lord, a relationship with Christ changes everything. And I pray today for those who need the Savior like this woman did, who need a Savior like I need in my life. God, I pray that right where they sit, if they've never done it before, that, that they will simply invite you, Lord Jesus, to forgive them and to come in and take over their life. The best words they know how, Lord, that they would invite Jesus to come and and to wipe that slate clean and to be their Savior, to be their Lord, their forgiver, their rescuer from this day forward. God, we thank you for grace. And we thank you that you give us a reset that this world could never offer that comes when we turn from our sin and invite invite you into our lives. And so, God, I pray that decision to be made this morning that change the scope of life from this day forward. Give courage, Lord, where it's needed, that we might just follow where you lead us. And may our decisions this morning please and honor you and bring fulfillment to our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.